we're going to do a thing on Jonah. We're going to walk through Jonah for a few weeks. Um, and I'm excited about it because it's a, it's a really cool story. So uh, Jonah 1, 1 through 17. Uh, you'll find the words on the screen here or in front of you, or if you've got it, that's great. So start with Jonah 1, the whole chapter. Uh, before we read it, let's pray. Thank you again, uh, God, for meeting us in this place for, uh, for the presence of your Spirit. And as we open your book, uh, we pray that, that you would speak. Pray that your voice would be the voice that, that we hear. Uh, so speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah. Let's do it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Dun, dun, dun. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Right, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord set a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship Yahweh, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Kind, compassionate people. Clearly, they're like, no, oh, man, we can't do that. Let's try harder. But they couldn't do it, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Yahweh, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O oh Lord. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. 
we will go that far. I don't know about you, but whenever I read this story, uh, first, it won't take you very long. Read it from beginning to end. Maybe after we're done here. Not right now, because I got some things to say. But maybe this afternoon. First, read it all the way through. It's really short. It's two pages in my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours. Maybe you got it electronically. It's not long. It's four chapters. Uh, so read it all the way through. Whenever I read the story, uh, I end up thinking to myself, why hasn't this been made into like a, a big blockbuster movie? Like, I feel like it's time to make this into a big blockbuster movie because it's got some big blockbustery things happening in it, right? You've got, the, you've got the men on the ship struggling against the sea, the wind, the waves, the rain. Are you thinking of VeggieTales? I knew it. I knew it. Now I'm talking big blockbustery CGI stuff. How did I know that? I feel so proud of myself for reading your minds as you... Anyway. Big blockbustery things, right? You've got, you've got the men struggling with the oars on the wind, with the wind and the rain and all the, the, the waves and everything happening there. That's huge. You've got the big dramatic conversation uh, between Jonah and the dudes. You've got, you can picture the big CGI fish, can you not? You can picture it swallowing Jonah up and him sitting in there all weird looking. You got the big moment of him walking through Nineveh, preaching against it. So you've got some big blockbustery type things happening, but you've also got these smaller, more intimate things that sort of are, are really deep in the story. You've got this inner struggle with Jonah. You can play it up at the beginning when God says, go to Nineveh. And he's like, oh, I don't know about this. And so you can have this, this intimate struggle on the inside. Uh, you've got, you've got his intimate struggling with God when he's in the belly of the fish. And then at the end, there's this last intimate sort of conversation in chapter four that he has with God. And then it kind of ends, it ends on a like cliffhanger sort of. Like we don't, what happens next? And so we walk out of the theater and we think, well, they got to make a Jonah 2, even though we know that there's no Jonah 2. But Jonah 2 would be fun to see. They got to make this into a big blockbuster movie, I think. Because listen, here's the deal. If you grew up in the church, like you, this is one of the first stories you heard. This is one of the first stories you learn because it's so fascinating, right? Who doesn't want to hear a story about a dude getting swallowed by a big old fish, right? Or if you're not religious, you don't really read the Bible, you don't care about the Bible, it's likely you've still heard about Jonah and the whale. You've heard about Jonah and the big fish, right? Somebody has to make this into a big blockbuster movie. I think it would be so cool because this story has been fascinating people for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. And so my hope is that we'll be fascinated by this story too, that it will grip us and that we'll maybe, maybe we'll learn a little something about who we are. We'll learn a little something about our place in this world and our, our relationship with God. And hopefully we'll learn a little something about, hopefully we'll learn a little something about the heart of God, right? That's my hope. So let's, let's just walk through the story. Right? So the story begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. Right? So Jonah was a prophet. Now, prophets were a different breed, and we've talked about this. Not long ago, we did Elijah, and we talked about how, how prophets are sort of these different kinds of people. Right? Prophets 
are always like pricking people's consciousness. They're, they're telling people the truth that nobody wants to tell and certainly nobody wants to, to hear. So they're agitators. They're disturbers of the peace. They, uh, they're troublemakers, right? So it takes a, certain amount of, takes a certain amount of guts to be a prophet. It takes a certain amount of uh, chutzpah. Does anyone know what that means? I don't but I know that's the right word, chutzpah. Like it takes a certain amount of whatever that means to be a prophet. So Jonah is that kind of guy. Jonah is like a guy who has guts. He's, he's kind of a tough guy. Then one day the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and the word of the Lord says, go to Nineveh. We're going to dwell on those three words for a little while. Go to Nineveh. Because three little words, these three little words start Jonah on an, on an adventure of a lifetime that will change his life and it will change the lives of a whole bunch of other people, right? Three little words from God will do that if we're listening. Are you listening? Three little words from God can transform your life, can transform the lives of others. Go to Nineveh. And don't just preach to them. Preach against them. Now, before we go any, any further, we have, to, uh, we have to realize what's going on here. We have to learn a little bit and talk a little bit about, about Nineveh. So in Jonah's world, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And back then, Assyria was the world's greatest superpower. Right? Like, and they were not a nice people. They were, a brutal, they were militarily strong. They were brutal. They ate other countries for breakfast. They did not shy away from, from genocide. Like They were a brutal, brutal people. Nineveh wasn't exactly a vacation spot for anybody who wasn't Assyrian. Okay? So Assyria was hated by all others. Nobody liked them. In fact, listen to some of the words that the prophet Nahum spoke. You can find this in the book of Nahum in the Bible. Listen to what he says about Nineveh, about the Assyrian Empire. Listen to this. He said this. Woe to Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood. Like you can imagine driving up on a road up into Nineveh and you've got the welcome sign. It says, welcome to Nineveh, the city of blood. Ooh, how'd you like to live in a city with that? motto. Woe to Nineveh, the city of blood, right? Woe to Nineveh, full of lives, lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. Your injury is fatal. And what he's doing in this, at this point is he's, he's sort of talking about eventually Assyria is going to fall. Eventually, Nineveh is going to fall. And he goes on and says, Everyone who hears the news about you claps their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? So Nineveh was so hated by the rest of the world that eventually, when the Assyrian Empire would fall, when Nineveh would fall, the world would stand up and throw a party. The world would clap their hands. The world would celebrate. The world would, would sort of breathe out this great sigh of relief because finally these brutal people are done. Right? So when we think about how the Israelites would have thought about 
Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, we have to think, we have to think something along these lines. When we think of Nineveh, we think of Al-Qaeda. Or when we think of Nineveh, we think of maybe ISIS. It's a little different, but the, the ooh, scariness is there. Or when we think about Nineveh, maybe we should just think about uh, somebody like Nazi, Nazi Germany. Right? So when you think about Nineveh, think about a power, a great power in the world that stole your children and murdered your family. This is what Nahum is saying about Nineveh. But here's the thing about Nahum. Nahum is, is saying these things about Nineveh within the safe confines of Israel. He's like lobbing verbal bombs from 550 miles away. Right? No big deal, right? You can, you can talk about Nineveh all you want when you're safe. right? And then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Get up close and personal with your enemies. Learn their language and then tell them judgment is coming. Go to Nineveh. Go there. Right? So we get this, right? Nineveh was not, we could, we could talk about Nineveh's not in Jonah's comfort zone. Like, this is out of his comfort zone. No, it's worse than that. Like, Nineveh is like the last place in the world he would want to go. Absolute last place in the world. His own people, he could speak to them. But Nineveh, nah, man. No, thank you. So Nineveh is the place you don't want to go. Nineveh is trouble. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is fear. What do you do when the word of the Lord comes to you and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. What do you do? Well, here's what Jonah did. And just understand a little bit about this. Uh, we, have to look, we have to look at a couple of maps. Okay, Forgive me. Like when you, when you Google and you find maps, you can't find really good ones. So this is, this is like the best. This is the best I have. So go ahead and put the first, first one up there. Okay, thank you. That's not bad, actually. All right, so you see Jerusalem down there. That's it, where Israel is, down there on the bottom left. And then you've got Nineveh up there. On the right, see Nineveh up there? So Nineveh is to, is to the, the east, about 550-ish some odd miles away. Right? So that's, that's where Nineveh is. It's like modern-day Iraq. God says, go to Nineveh. And when God says, go, you get up and go, right? So Jonah, he gets up and he goes, but he doesn't go to Nineveh. He heads for Tarshish. Now, if Nineveh is east, does anybody have any guesses where Tarshish might be? West, right? Let's put up that other one. <laughs> What? Like you can't run anymore in the opposite direction than that. God says, go to Nineveh, 550 miles that way. And he's like, nah, man, I'm headed for Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the absolute opposite direction. Right? Okay, you can get rid of that. So Jonah, think of that. Jonah, this man of God, this prophet, takes a certain amount of guts to be a prophet. Like you got to be willing to stand up and say some hard things, right? Prophets are supposed to have guts. He runs away from God, right? He runs in the opposite direction as far as he can go to the very end of the known world for him. 
That's how far he's going in the opposite direction. Now, who would ever think to do something that dumb? Go in the opposite direction of what God calls you to do? Like, I don't know anybody like that. Do you? Sure you do. Like we all do. Does anybody have a mirror? We can just pass it around and... Or you can just, you know, get your phone up and do the selfie and you can look at yourself and right? see at some point or another, we all do this. We all consciously, we just go in the opposite direction, right? At some point or another, we all move in the opposite way that we know God wants us to do. And then when we do, we have to like play these little mind games with ourselves and we try our best to figure out mentally how we can just not think about God and not think about the divine. We try our best to sort of eliminate any awareness of God's presence. We try to eliminate any awareness of God's character. We try not to think about what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. We keep ourselves, we keep ourselves busy and so stuffed with other things that we just don't have time. And then we, then we don't feel guilty about running away from Nineveh, right? And we all run away from Nineveh. We all do it. What does that look like in your life? Maybe it looks like this. I know God is calling me to have some really difficult conversations with somebody. It's going to be really hard. I have to tell the truth to somebody and I have to ask some some really hard questions, but that's going to be difficult. That's going to be uncomfortable. I really don't want that pain in my life, so I'm going to go to Tarshish. I know God wants me to, to, to serve in a certain place, but I know it's going to be hard. I might fail and make a fool of myself. Plus, I don't have time. I'm really, really busy. Anybody know where I can catch a boat to Tarshish? Or maybe I know God wants me to to sort of let go of my addiction to accumulating stuff and to making the most money I can, right? God says, I'd like you to actually give of yourself and, and just see how your generosity will transform your life. But I like my stuff. I like my money. I like all that stuff. I'm going to go to Tarshish, Right? Or maybe it's like this, God wants me to be open and honest about this secret thing in my life that's quickly making a mess of my life. Nobody knows about it. And God wants me to go to a trusted friend or go to see a therapist so that I can begin to deal with this thing. Or, or God wants me to let go of my anger. God wants me to forgive and not live with bitterness. Or, or God wants me to really examine what I believe about about God and people and who I am and my place in this world. You know what? Nineveh is a hard place to go, a really hard place to go. I think I'll just go in the opposite direction. I'm going to head on over to Tarshish. What does that look like in your life? Because this is what Jonah does, right? He runs away. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Right? He paid the fare. 
Now, that's an interesting phrase because some, some scholars believe that it, it, you can translate it, he paid it higher. In other words, this wasn't just a couple of bucks to get on a cruise line that would, that would bring you to buy a ticket to bring you to, to Tarshish. No, he paid it higher, which means he hired the boat, the crew, and all the people on it. He paid them all to bring them to Tarshish. So this wasn't just buying, a, this wasn't buying an airline ticket to get down to Phoenix. That's not what this was. For spring break, it's not what this was. Right? He paid all of them. He paid an extraordinary amount of money to run away from God. He paid a great, great price. Probably cost him everything. Now, he's going to Tarshish. If we learned what Nineveh was, we probably should learn a little something about Tarshish. What kind of a city is, is Tarshish? Why would he pick to go to, to Tarshish? Because it's, it's significant and more, than, and more than just it's in the opposite direction. In many ways, Tarshish was kind of a, an opposite city of Nineveh. Nineveh was built on military might, militarily strong. But Tarshish was built on commerce. Tarshish was built on opportunities for you to, to succeed and become wealthy. So in the Bible, Tarshish sort of becomes this symbol for wealth and prosperity. So Jonah runs to Tarshish. John Ortberg once wrote, he's running to Wall Street. That's where he's going. So he's running for a fresh start, a new opportunity to sort of take control of his own life. So he's leaving his old life behind as a prophet who relies heavily on the presence of the divine, on God. And he's saying, nah, man, I'm going there. There's new opportunity there. I'm now taking control of my own life. I'm going to get me some. Right? I've got a new opportunity, and that's what wealth is to him. He wants safety and security. He wants control for his own life. So chasing after money and wealth isn't something that we Americans invented, even though we got pretty good at it. Right? People have been chasing after money and wealth to control their own lives for a really, really, really long time. Wealth doesn't give you, doesn't necessarily mean safety and security anyway, or control over your own life. It's another way to try to control your own life, but you know what? It doesn't even work because, because wealth can't protect us from things like wind and rain, storms and waves, right? The, to quote the great poet Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band, though we would love to believe it, we are not in control. We are not in control. Okay, so we're going to run through the rest of this story pretty quickly. Because you see, we think this story is about Jonah and his running. And then we, and it is. And we identify our lives with the life of Jonah. And then we begin to think that it's just about our lives and our running away from God. And it is. But in reality, the story is about so much more. It's so much bigger and wider. This story is about God. And this story is about what God is up to in the world, right? And in reality, God is larger and more intimately involved in our lives than we can, we can barely imagine it, right? We always love to believe that these stories about us, and they are, but they're about so much more, right? And our own stories are about what God is up to in the world. 
So we're going to go through this quickly. Up comes this fierce storm. It's so fierce that they all think the ship is going to break apart. That's how bad it is. And down goes Jonah below deck. It's like, if I go down here, maybe God won't notice. Maybe God won't see. Maybe God will get rid of the storm because I'm down below and maybe God will think I've already jumped in or whatever. And we get, Isn't it funny how silly we get when we're trying to run away from God, when we're trying to hide from God? Right? So, but these professional sailors are on the deck and they're scared because they know they're about to die. So they begin to try to figure out which one of them angered the gods, right? Since none of them can figure it out, the captain goes below deck to talk to Jonah. And he's like, what are you, crazy? Start praying to your God. Maybe we won't die, right? Then that doesn't work. So they draw straws. They cast lots. Jonah draws the, sh the short one. So they ask Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, which gets written as the Lord. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, this would have been like mind-blowing for these sailors. They became afraid. They were like, what? See, they would have no concept for this. See, in their world, there were all kinds of gods and goddesses for all kinds of things. There was a god for the rain, a god for the land, a god for the sea, a god for this, and on and on and on. But now Jonah is saying there's a god above all of that. There's one. This is the god who made the land and the sea and everything else. So they ask, well, what are we going to do? What do, we, what do we need to do? And Jonah, tired of running, says, throw me in, and the sea will become calm. I know this is all my fault. Right? He would rather die than keep running. So eventually they throw him in, the sea gets calm, but get, get what happens next. Get what happens next. These men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. So here's this foreign boat filled with foreigners, not Hebrews, people from Tarshish. This foreign boat turns into a place of worship, turns into a place, turns into a, a sanctuary. So these foreign men who never heard of the Lord before, they're now introduced to the maker of heaven and earth and everything in between, and they worship him. You can bet when they get back to Tarshish, what do you think they do? They just had this experience. They throw him over. They learn about this, this God they never heard before. They throw him over. The sea is calm. What do you think they do when they get back to Tarshish? They're going to tell everybody they know. You will not believe what just happened. So here's the deal. This story isn't just about Nineveh. It's not just about Nineveh out east. It's also about Tarshish all the way out west to the edge of the known world. Right? So this story is also about Tarshish. God reveals God's self in Tarshish too. Like, 
What? God's love and presence is so big and so, it's so much more expansive than we ever thought. Even when we mess things up, even when we run the other way and hide, God shows up and God reveals himself. God shows up and saves. God shows up and offers love. God shows up and offers another chance. God shows up and offers grace. God shows up even to the outsider, to the people we would least expect, God shows up. God is gigantic. So we'll get to the rest of the story later. I know y'all want to get to the big fish. We'll do that next week. But right now, let me just say this. It's not too late. It's never too late to stop running from God. It's never too late. Right? God is waiting. Like, don't wait for the storm. You don't have to wait for the storm. Don't wait for the storm to get worse. Go to that place. Go to Nineveh. Go to that place you don't really want to go, but you know God is calling you to Anyway, go to Nineveh because here's the deal. I have a hunch that when you get there, guess who will be there? Yeah, God will meet you in that place too. Let's pray.